If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn to a very familiar passage in Isaiah 61. Uh, this is my next, uh, my final contribution into the side-by-side uh, series, and I've entitled this morning, A Corporate Anointing. So let's just read this familiar passage to us, and I'm going to spend some time in the next few minutes just unpackaging it for us. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall build up the ancient ruins, and they shall raise up the former devastations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This was the passage of Scripture that was handed to Jesus right at the beginning of his ministry. And if you were to turn to Luke chapter 4, I'm sure these words are coming up behind me, um, having read out that scripture, so right at the beginning of his ministry, in Luke chapter 4, verse 20, we read this, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, this prophetic passage of Scripture that was given thousands of years ago before Jesus was actually born, he's saying, today, this is about me. All all this passage in Isaiah 61 that we've just read to you, who's this about? The Spirit of the Lord is upon who? Who is the Lord anointed to do these things? Jesus said, I am the one that this passage is all of Scripture is about. You read on later on into the passage, you'll see this had an interesting effect upon the congregation on that particular Saturday morning because it was kind of like, this is the Joseph's son, he's the carpenter's son, and he's obviously claiming to be the Messiah. And so a lot of people didn't really like that. Two things I'd like to pick up straight away from just this fact that this passage in Isaiah is about Jesus. The first is this, it's important to notice this, that from this very moment onwards, Jesus did Isaiah 61. And and, and really, you know, if he'd said this is fulfilled today and it's me, and he went out of the room, and he didn't bring good news to the poor, and he didn't heal the sick, and he didn't cast out demons and set the captives free, and he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, then you'd say what he thought it was about him, but it obviously wasn't. It must have been about someone else. So by going out of the room and beginning to do the things we've just read about in Isaiah 61, it confirmed that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and it confirmed to everybody that I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am the one that you've all been waiting for, because these signs confirmed who Jesus was. The second, now I want you to really just stay with me on this for a moment. It's important. The second thing that you need to get out of this is Jesus needed... Can't think of Jesus needing much, can you? He needed to be anointed by the Holy Spirit 
in order to do the things that we've just read about in Isaiah 61. So for 30 plus years, Jesus hadn't done Isaiah 61. For 30 plus years, we know that he was working as a carpenter, and we also know that throughout those 30 years, he was he was spending time with his heavenly father. He was intimate with his heavenly father. He knew who he was. He knew this day would come. But he didn't do these things before this particular moment until now. So this is really important. So turn with me to Luke chapter 3 and verse 22. And we read together this about Jesus' baptism in water. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him. So the Holy Spirit comes upon him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice from heaven came, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. There are other passages referring to this that says, and the Spirit of God came upon him and remained with him. And so we get to Luke chapter 4 and uh, verse 1. And Jesus, okay, he's just been baptized and The Spirit of God has come upon him. Verse 1, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So he is, the Spirit of God comes upon him. He is then filled with the Holy Spirit. And he goes into the wilderness led by the Holy Spirit. Verse 14 of Luke chapter 4, And Jesus returned... In the power of what? The Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went throughout the whole surrounding area. And he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. Now please listen. Here is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Fully God and fully man. Needing the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do what he needed to do. I don't know about you, but I just thought, well, Jesus, of course Jesus healed the sick. He was God. Jesus, of course he, you know, and, and it, kind of, it, it kind of like I get away with what I can't do because he's God, and so that's, that's why he could do all these things. But the Bible tells us that Jesus deliberately made this move to not to be able to do anything unless he was anointed by the Spirit. So he's fully God, and he's fully man, But he could only heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, preach good news to the poor, comfort those who mourn under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the mystery and the wonder of the Trinity, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have this relationship whereby they are subservient to one another and they honor one another. So in another passage of Scripture, it says that Jesus only did what he always saw the Father doing. He didn't do things on his own strength. He saw what the Father was doing, and then he did it. Other passages of Scripture, it says of the Holy Spirit, he has only come to glorify Jesus. And so you see this interdependence in the Trinity upon one another. He modeled for us dependency upon the Holy Spirit. This is what he did when the Spirit of God came upon him. Now, you, you don't look really interested in this, some of you, but let me just point the, put the point to you. This is really good news for you and me. And the reason that it's really good news is this. If you are anointed 
by the same spirit that came upon Jesus, you can get to do the things that he did. Now think about that for a moment. If he modeled as fully God but fully man, just like you and me, that when you become anointed by the Spirit, you're dependent upon the Spirit, you can begin to do these things. You see, if it was just that God did it like this and we're all just human beings, but he did this through the power of the Spirit of God upon him. So we come to familiar passages like this in John chapter 16, verse 7, when Jesus is chatting to his disciples because he's just about to go to the cross. He says to this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is fascinating because you can imagine for the disciples, when Jesus says it's for your advantage that I go away, they couldn't think of anything worse. We will love you, we want you to be with us forever, Jesus. Why are you going away? It can't be to our advantage. It's the worst possible thing that happens that you will now leave us. What they don't understand is Jesus is saying, look, when I go away, the spirit that's upon me will come upon you. And the things that I do, you will be able to do. And so it's to your advantage. It's better for you that I go to the Father. Because Jesus is saying this, that when he goes to the cross and then he's raised from the dead, and he's ascended on high, there'll be a day which we call the day of Pentecost, when he will pour out his spirit, Isaiah 61, keep it in your mind, because this is what you guys are all going to do, <laughs> that this is amazing because that same spirit upon Jesus would then come on the day of Pentecost upon these disciples, and then for the first time they realized it was to our advantage that Jesus went away. Because now the spirit that was upon him in bodily form is now poured out upon all of us to glorify God. So we can now do Isaiah 61. Listen, between the day of Pentecost and today, nothing has changed. We are still living in an age of the spirit. So we today, as God's people, can say the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us. And he has anointed us to preach good news to the poor to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to comfort those who mourn in Zion. Now, I want you to notice this, very important. Go back to Isaiah 61, verse 1. These little phrases. The Spirit is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to do certain things. Please note that it's all about Him. It's all about Him and not about you. The anointing does not come through my efforts or through my busyness or through my trying hard. Some of you this morning are looking at this passage in Isaiah 61 and we're already disqualifying ourselves. I could never do that. You're absolutely right. Some of us are looking at it and thinking, if you knew what my life was like right now, you know how disqualified I am to think that Jesus could ever use me to heal broken-hearted people around me. Or some of you might be sitting there thinking, look, I've got enough issues of my own just to cope with right now. The thought of going out and setting the captive free <coughs> is not really at the top of my agenda. I'm just overwhelmed by life itself. Or maybe, oh wow, I look at this passage of scripture and I know the levels of my faith 
right now are so low, there's just no way I'm going to be able to do some of these things. Or classically, some of us are looking at that passage and thinking, it can't possibly be about me. I'm so ordinary. I'm so up and down. My feelings are all over the place. I have good days and bad days. I'm really weak and I'm lacking and I'm at best a half-formed kind of disciple. So obviously, God can't possibly use me. Can I remind you, I don't know how many times we've turned to this passage over the last few years, but I'm turning to it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. The anointing of the Spirit of God is not dependent upon you and how well you're doing right now. It's not dependent on your levels of faith. It's not dependent on whether you feel you're doing good or not so good, etc. Or, Do you know, Jesus doesn't anoint people who already think they're anointed. Why would he come to people who already think they can do it? If you don't think you can do Isaiah 61, you are number one to qualify. So I can't do these things. No, you can't. But look at listen, all through Scripture, when the Spirit of God comes upon people who are weak, when He comes upon people who are ordinary, when He comes upon people who know their frailty, it makes all the difference. It really does. Acts chapter 1, we have a group of people, disciples of Jesus, they're afraid, they're not very united, they're, they're very low in their faith, they're just praying, and the time is going by. They're locked away because they're frightened of what people might do to them. Turn a page over into Acts chapter 2, and these same people are out on the streets proclaiming the gospel, healing the sick, raising the dead, preaching with power and authority, total, utter transformation. And they're exactly the same people that were there, hidden away. What's the difference? The only difference is a person. And the only difference is that these people then were anointed by the Spirit of God, and then they came. They were just the same as you and me. They were just as weak as you and I. They were no different, but the difference was the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord had come upon them. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord enabled them to go out with boldness and confidence, not in their own strength. And it's exactly the same for us today. When the Spirit of God comes upon us, He changes everything, which is why we need to be filled with the Spirit constantly. Which is, we want to move in the anointing, all we need to do is keep coming back. Fill me again, Lord. Fill me again. I cannot do these things in my own strength. I need <coughs> your anointing. It's not how well you are doing. It's what happens when the anointing come up, comes upon you. That is the real key. Now, what on earth has this got to do with side by side? Well, let me just push it a little bit further then. The difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, many differences, but one of them is this, that in the Old Covenant, when the Spirit of God came upon people to do things, He gave them the power 
to do what they wanted to do as an individual person called of God. I haven't got time, but we could illustrate through person, men and women throughout the Old Testament, <coughs> the Spirit of God came upon them and they were able to do miraculous things. And once they'd done it, the Spirit of God left them and moved on. Now we find in the New Covenant that it's not about a person who gets anointed by the Spirit. This is the side-by-side bit I want us to really get hold of today. From now on, in the New Covenant, it's a corporate anointing. It's not that some person gets to kill a thousand Philistines with an oxbow. It's not the case anymore. Now it is the case that all of God's people get to be anointed by the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 17, quoting the prophet Joel on the day of Pentecost, Peter is able to say this, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on male servants and female servants in those days, these days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall all prophesy. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, describing the church, Paul says this, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Not an individual, but a corporate gathering. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, old, young, black, white, all (coughs) were made to drink of the one Spirit. So a massive difference takes place as far as Isaiah 61 is concerned, is it's no longer for a person to do these things, an individual, but it's for us corporately. The days of the few superstars have come to an end. I sometimes do get worried and concerned when I hear talking about the pastor, the pastor, the pastor. Yeah, hopefully you've got a good pastor. There's good pastors around. But the inference is the pastor's anointed. That's not new covenant. It's that we are all, the whole body of Christ is anointed. It's a corporate anointing. And when side by side as a corporate people With this anointing, we start to walk together. We are going to see amazing things happen for the glory of God. Together now, it's it's together that we get to do this. And listen, if there's someone sitting next to you this morning that's more anointed than you in some way or other, there are people in this room far, far more anointed than me in all aspects of life. Even with you, I'm expecting something to rub off onto me. Do you understand that? So it's not just, oh, she's really anointed. It's that something of that anointing becomes part of what you are and what you have so that you can move in the same anointing together. The anointing is to be given away. It's to be shared. It's to be corporate. It's to be that we say the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us. He has anointed us to heal the sick, to set the captives free. It's not a one person. It's an all of us together. Together we can do amazing things in his name because it's no longer about one person that's all about us. It's not about entertainment. It's not about coming here on Sundays being entertained by a few other people. It's about all of us getting to participate in the anointing of the Spirit of God that's upon us. How are you doing this morning? This is talking about you. 
This is talking about you. If I, if I could just get you and stand in front of me, I'd say, this is talking about you. And I, would, I wouldn't choose one, you know, ran- randomly, anybody, five of you, come to the front now. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, your background, your age. The spirit of the sovereign Lord, the potential is upon you because it's upon all of us who are in Christ. So exciting that we're living in a day where we all get to participate in these things. Now, just before I move on, quick question. Do you wait for the anointing to come upon you before you do something? Or do you go out in faith and do something and there you find the anointing? What do you think? So, I'm asking you to, because I, I don't know. No, I do. <laughs> if I think of Jesus for a moment, because it's where it starts, did he wait to feel something before he did it? Was it just a feeling? I feel the anointing. You know, just imagine some, you find a Christian, and there's a whole lot of people that need to just be spoken to. There's some people over here that like you to, be, to pray. Would you come and pray? And I go, just a moment. What are you doing? I'm just waiting for the anointing. I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it, where is it, is it coming, is it coming? And then when I've got it, then I'll go, I just can't believe that's the way that it works. So this is a massive challenge to me, and maybe it is to you as well, that you really know the spirit of the sovereign Lord upon you to anoint you when you step out of your comfort zone, and you begin to walk, and you begin to do something. And I believe it's at that moment that you know the Spirit of God anointing you to do things you cannot do. And it may just be one of the answers why we don't see an awful lot of stuff happening, as much as it seems to be in the Bible. Because there's very few people stepping out to know the anointing of God. Maybe we're passively waiting for something to happen, and it's never going to happen that way. It's a bit like a contribution in the meeting. You can't just have a contribution and wait. There has to come a moment where you step out and you bring something so that the body of Christ can benefit from it. So Isaiah 61 does not end in self-indulgence. It does not end with just a few inward-looking things. It ends in mission. And this whole side-by-side series, some of you may have been thinking, I've really enjoyed this series because it's all about our relationship with one another and, you know, it's all about planes, as Ruben was talking about the other day, and it's all kind of side-by-side and we're all kind of in this thing together. The reality is, at the end of the day, this is not going to end with us being an inward-looking community. When we're side-by-side and really anointed by the Spirit, it ends with mission. It ends with something that goes beyond us, something that goes from us as a community. So I'd like to round off this word this morning by talking about some of the aspects mentioned in Isaiah 61, but looking at it from a point of us as a community. So when we are a a corporate community anointed by the Spirit, Isaiah 61 says this. This is what we can say. Number one, that we are a community that brings good news to the poor. Can you say good news to the poor, please? Good news to the poor. When we are anointed by the Spirit of God, We become a community side by side that brings good news to the poor. Who are the poor? So theologians have been arguing about that for years. I believe it's the marginalized. I believe it's the forgotten. I believe it's literally the poor. People who live without means. Why is 
that's so important that we identify the poor because at the end of the day, this anointing upon us should be central to everything we do as a community. If we are anointed by the Spirit of God and the community bring good news to the poor, then this is not a subject which is an add-on that a few people in this church get enthusiastic about. Charlie January stands up twice a year and says things. It's not that it's just like, oh, I'm glad there's someone who's got a heart for the poor. If I read this right, Isaiah 61 says, there is an anointing upon God's people with a heart for the poor. It's something that happens naturally to us when we've been anointed by God. It's very central to who we are as a people. If we want New Community Church to grow across these three boroughs, then I can tell you one of the growth engines will be if we have a ministry to the poor. Why is it such good news to the poor? Because it's hope to the hopeless. People are in a state of life where they really think there's no hope, there's no future, I'm going to be like this forever. And they suddenly hear a message, good news, the gospel, which can lift them from their hopeless state and give them a future. That is why it's good news. And that is why all over the UK now, there are numerous churches growing on council estates in all kinds of places, forgotten and marginalized by society, and people are coming to Christ all the time. Because people in those churches are ministering to them in their need. The forgotten ones, the people that are thrown away. And maybe, just maybe, we're getting to a place where we realize it was never the state's, I'm trying not to get political this morning, the state's responsibility. We will all moan because they're not doing a different, a really good job. But you know, they might not be anointed by the Spirit. But we, the church, don't just keep saying, I hope the state does this. We have a responsibility in community for really being, not just preaching, but being, demonstrating good news for the poor. I think at New Community, we've got a long, long way to go on this. But the moment we start to do it across our venues, across these boroughs, we are going to see hundreds of people come to Christ. Because they're looking, they're hoping. See, if you've got everything together, you don't need anything. But if you're hopeless and hope comes into your life, then I'm sure that you are going to respond. And just as a little giveaway here, this is not about some good people doing good deeds. This is an anointing that brings compassion that means you do things rather than just say things to people. It's a Holy Spirit anointing. Upon, oh, I could just spend the whole of the rest of the session just talking on this because I'm, I'm convicted that we need to understand that it's a spirit anointing thing. It's the most natural thing in the world for a Christian to have a heart for the poor because of the spirit of God. It's totally unnatural. If you're a white middle class person, you've been living in this place all your life and you've got a lovely house and garden and all the rest of it, something can get into your soul that doesn't despise what God's given to you actually, but yearns that people you walk past in the street People you see all around you in deep, deep need. That's the Spirit of God tugging away at you, longing for you to make a difference. The second thing we can say is this, a community that binds up the broken hearted. We are surrounded by people with emotional, spiritual, mental, even physical health issues. What did Jesus do when the Spirit of God came upon him? He healed people. He set captives free. 
healed the brokenhearted. He moved in signs and wonders. And if you read the Acts of the Apostles from Acts chapter 2 onwards, you know that the Acts community moved in power and signs and wonders because the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord had come upon them. I find this little phrase, bind up the brokenhearted, really interesting. This isn't a quick word to someone, be healed. Sometimes that's all you do need to say to people, and they are healed. But when we talk about people with physical, emotional, mental, spiritual needs, bind up the brokenhearted indicates to me time, energy, patience. And you can't do that without the Spirit of God. Broken-hearted people are all around us, folks. Some of you, some of us have known what it's meant to be broken-hearted. And anxiety and depression, all these things around us, uh, overwhelmed by life, despairing of life. We have four colleges almost in walking distance of this building. And... People are concerned in those colleges at the amount of people, young people at the beginning of their lives, who want to bring their lives to an end. Brokenhearted, overwhelmed, mental health issues. Do you know, folks, if we all begin to live under the anointing of Isaiah 61, in a, we will become a healed community, bringing healing to all those who are around us. I can't heal anybody. You can't heal anybody. All of those who have prayed for my bad back, you didn't really do a very good job, did you, in the end? <laughs> Only Jesus heals people. Seriously, you don't heal anybody. You can't heal any brokenhearted. Those people on your estate or near you, up the road, who've got all these difficulties, you can't do anything about them. But when the Spirit of God comes upon you, it makes all the difference. Third thing we get to say is this, that we are a community that brings liberty or freedom to the captives people that are bound all around us are set free set free from fear the mess of their backgrounds the anointing brings authority to speak to whatever has bound people and bring victory into their lives we do a course in this church called freed for purpose it's great that people go on this course Probably all of us need to go on this course at some time or other in our life because it's not just about people with needs. We all have things in us that need to be set free. But whether you go on the course or not, you just need to know the spirit of the sovereign Lord can come upon you and can set you free from things you're captive to, things you're addicted by, things that have been there in your mental state for so many, many years. I love that phrase when John chapter 8, verse 36, when Jesus said, if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I don't know about you, but I've often thought if he'd said, if the sun sets you free, you'd be free, I probably would just flip it over. And that's a nice thought. But there's just something about that word indeed that really gets to you. Because it's really saying, if the, Jesus is saying, if the sun sets you free, you'll be really, 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 really free. And it's the reality that there is a freedom within that is greater than the freedom without you. So if you're in, out, if you're in prison, rightly, and you do Alpha course, and you through Alpha in prison, you get saved, and they put you back in your prison cell. You're actually freer than all the people outside of prison who don't know Jesus. That's the freedom that you get on the inside when the Spirit of the Lord <laughs> comes upon you. God's desire for us is that we should see this. So many testimonies of people 
being set free. And fourthly and finally, if you get just to get through this passage and running out of time, it's to be a community that does these things, proclaims the Lord's favor. That's what it says. When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon us, we get to proclaim the Lord's favor. What is that? It's grace. Freely you have received, freely give. There's not a lot of grace in the world at the moment, is there? Whether it's in the political world or just in terms of life, there's not a lot of grace around for people. Well, when the Spirit of God comes upon us as a community, we'll proclaim God's favor. We'll be saying to people, you've got a messed up life. Come in all your mess. Don't sort yourselves out. Come to Jesus. He's the one who sorts your mess out. We need to be oozing with grace for people that the world doesn't have time for. Secondly, the vengeance of our God. It's interesting that uh, <laughs> this is a... When I've heard people preach in this passage and always avoid this bit. The vengeance of our God. Oh, this is terrible. Let me just tell you what I think this means. It's not wrath. It's not we get to proclaim the wrath of God. The wrath of God was dealt with at the cross when Jesus died for us. God's wrath was poured out upon him. And so that's what that deals with. And it's not judgment. You know, we come here, we're, as a community, we judge everybody around us because they don't know Jesus. The judgment is coming. There is a day when everybody will be judged for the life that they've lived. But the vengeance of our God does not mean wrath at the cross dealt with or judgment. That's for the final day. It says Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. We are here as his body not to condemn the world, but to preach a message that saves the world. So what's the vengeance of our God? I believe it's justice. I believe it's justice for all who suffer injustice. And whether we're a church community that supports IJM and people dealing with slave trafficking, which is happening all around us in this country, even though we don't know about it, bringing the body of Christ, saving people, bringing them out of injustice by our time, our money, and our energy. Or whether it's just people in your street that are hitting things, that's just so unjust. You can't, in this world, before glory, sort out every unjust situation. But we can be a, a, an anointed people who can speak of the vengeance of our God. That he knows, that he understands, that he can help. And then comfort. It's interesting, we're talking about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. One of the phrases of the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And so when we're anointed by the Holy Spirit, we can comfort those who mourn. I was at an amazing funeral on Friday afternoon of an old friend of mine. And I tell you, it was just the most powerful thing. I think funerals are amazing things to go to when you're celebrating the life of someone who knew Jesus. And the comfort that it gives is remarkable. See, everyone's facing death. So there are people all around us that are frightened of death. We've got a message that tells them you can be comforted when you face death because we already know where we're going and that we've got nothing to fear. And then it goes on to say, I call this the great exchange, beauty for ashes, joy for sorrow, praise for heaviness. Just stay with me. This is the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us corporately, every one of us. 
We get to preach good news to the poor. We get to bind up the brokenhearted, set the captives free, proclaim the Lord's favor, vengeance of our God, comfort those who mourn. And then we come to bring beauty for ashes. What does that mean? It means life for death. I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is so important that when you become a Christian, you are someone has the life of God in you. And you proclaim to people around us that are only living in death that you can have your life changed. And someone can come into your life and bring such transformation that you can know real life before you die. Beauty. Ashes represents death, doesn't it? Beauty represents life that can come to you. It's amazing. How many of you have seen the film, the the series that was on, I think it was last week, 63 Up? Did anyone see that? Put your hand up if you saw it. A few of you. It's a series of things following people about my age since they were seven years old. And I, listen, I have never seen any of them, but last week we happened to be in a very wet holiday and uh, so we had nothing else to do. So we put the telly on and we saw this thing called 63 Up, following the lives of all these people every seven years. It was really, really fascinating. I have to say, it will be really fascinating to do 63 Up for people in this room. Because when the cameras came to you at the age of seven and through your life, there would have kind of moment of massive transformation. And the sad thing about all the people in this thing was that no one really changes very much. They grow up and they get a bit wise, but some of them get messed up, but they don't change very much. And I just thought, if you got a born again Christian there, there will come this one moment when everything is transformed. Because that is beauty for ashes. Joy for sorrow, not temporal joy that needs a lot of drink, but a joy in circumstances, in sorrow, where there's mourning, where there's pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And then praise for heaviness, that which lifts people who are under the weight of life, who faint because of all that life's going on. I just want to finish this one last thing. When you get to the end of this passage in Isaiah 61, Verses 3 and 4 says that they become oaks of righteousness. And verse 4 says that they build up and raise up devastation in cities. Who are they? Who are these people who get to do these extraordinary things, who fundamentally change society? Who are they? Let me tell you who they are, because it's so amazing. They're the poor. They're the captives, they're the brokenhearted, they're the sorrowful, they're the mourners, they're the ones, the ones weighed down by life. They are the ones who bring transformation. What a turnaround. There is no one more qualified to be able to go to people than those who have already been them, there themselves, who can identify exactly with what's going on in people's lives. And actually, it's all of us this morning who are in Christ. We've all been there. And so we are qualified to be the ones who can go to where people are. I love this quote. Finish with this quote. The destiny of the poor is not the removal of poverty. It's to rebuild broken cities. Alan Scott said that in his book. I just find that such a powerful phrase. Because you and I could think, well, we've got poor people and Maybe they'll get a little bit better in their life and have a bit more money. No, no, no. The destiny of the poor is that they get so transformed that they're the ones who rebuild the broken cities. Isn't that amazing?
It's like the total transformation is the people who were once right down here are now the ones who are going to people who are down there, but with this new life. Can we stand together, please?